Hello there, friend. Welcome back to the Cash Confidence Stylist Podcast. So before we get into this episode, I got a question for you. How often do you ask yourself, where the hell is my money going? Okay, look, a lot of us, that runs in a constant loop in our mind. And it's time to take your first step towards financial empowerment. So I wanted to give you a free resource that is going to help you do just that. I wanna give you Assess Your Situation, which is the first module in my course, as well as your guide to figuring out where the fuck your money is actually going. Sorry if you have kids in the car. So this is gonna be a free guide that I've created to help you break the loops, providing you with tools to assess your current financial situation. You don't even have to break out the calculator and to help you gain awareness about what you actually need to start making those money moves where it truly matters. So go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the show notes and snag it. The link is down there um, and enjoy this episode. Let me know how assessing your situation goes. Thanks friends. This is Misty Jane, and you're listening to Backroom Beauty Talks, a real, raw, and unedited podcast that helps uplift the hair industry one stylist at a time. Hello there, friends. Welcome to another episode. Before we get into the good stuff, I wanted to ask you a favor. I have a goal of getting 20 reviews on iTunes before the end of 2020. If you get a chance, I know you're listening. If you're not driving, of course, scroll on down, leave a review, let me know what you think. It'll help make it bigger and better for 2021. I always appreciate the support, the shares, telling your friends, having them listen. Um, It is much, much appreciated. Today, I'm sitting down and having a chat with John Palmier. He is the co-founder of the 124Go podcast definitely give it a listen. He is also the Director of Business and Leadership and Development and at the 124 Group. Um, he is a leadership coach and a salon business coach. And this conversation has so much gold in it, you might want to grab a notebook. Please enjoy. Hello, John. How are you doing today? I'm great, Misty. How are you? I am good. I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, For those listening that do not know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Um, In my past life, I was a hairdresser for about 25 years. I also owned my own salon up in Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. Now I work for the Salon 124 Group. We are a company of six salons and a cosmetology school. And I am the Director of Business and Leadership Development in our company. Um, we also have a consulting group for salon and spa owners called 124Go. And for all you listeners out there, we also have a podcast. It's the 124Go podcast, otherwise known as Shop Talk. I love it. I love it. It's a great podcast, I will add. So add that, add that to your list. <laughs> yeah, we're lucky to have you on as a guest. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm Absolutely. Very Absolutely. Yeah. I enjoyed it. So your expertise is leadership. Um, and business building, essentially. Am I correct in saying that? Correct. Yeah, I spend a lot of time helping our own managers and other salon and spa owners help grow their business. What got you on this path? What was your, where, where did the passion lie? So, you know, I first opened my salon uh, back in the 80s, right, before dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> <laughs> and when I opened my salon, I had a partner at the time, and the two of us did okay, but I could never really figure out how to go from okay to like wicked great, you know, and that was what I was trying to get to. And so I hired a consulting company. Uh, I needed that business education and I couldn't do it on my own, even though I thought I could. So I hired a consulting company in Centerbrook, Connecticut. They're called Strategies. And uh, they taught me the business skills I needed and the leadership skills I needed to grow my company. And we went from just doing okay to doing a whole lot better. Yet on that journey, I found that that's what I really connected with. I really connected with salon owners and managers who are in the same exact boat I was in, which is I went to hairdressing school, I got the entrepreneurial bug, and I wanted to open up my own company, and now I'm stuck. I don't know how to get from here to there. And because that was me, you know, I really connected with with that group of people. Because I had success, I knew I could help. 
And it just became a love affair for me that I could work with other salon and spa owners to help them create that, that lifestyle and that business that they, they wanted for themselves and for their teams. Now, what would you say when you started working with um, that group, what would mm-hmm. you say was your aha moment? Um, I, when I worked with those group of people or when I was on the journey for myself in the beginning? When you were on the journey for yourself, when, when you weren't sure where to take your business and you started, you know, you hired them, the consulting group, what, what was kind of that thing that was like, ah, I mean, I know there's probably a million things, but the one that probably first came to mind was, um, we were doing, it was a small salon. It was only four of us. We were doing about $250,000 a year in sales. Mm-hmm. I went through the program, learned a bunch of bunch of things. One of the things I learned is that our average visits per year at that time for our customers was five. Our average customers visited us five times a year. The first thing we did is we started a rebooking program and we got our average up from five visits a year to seven. Awesome. What that taught me though was the money that was attached to that because we went from $250,000 a year in sales to $350,000 a year in sales because of that number alone. We didn't raise prices. We didn't do any marketing because to tell you the truth, I didn't have any money for marketing. (laughs) We had no new clients. We had no new staff members. We just went from five visits a year to seven by asking the question and increased our revenues from 250 to $350,000 in one year. And I was like, holy moly, what other numbers do I not know about? Right. Right. That's amazing. And that was, that was the big aha moment. Yeah. Now was the salon a commission salon? Uh, no, we were a, uh, a salaried salon, meaning all of our team got an hourly wage. So the hourly wage went anywhere from, we started people at that time at $8 an hour and we were well into the thirties back in the eighties. Right. right. Um, and that changed and progressed over time. And that, that, that tier eventually um, started off at $10 an hour and was well into the forties, you know, for our senior staff. Now, are you, do you see um, hourly um, a common thing in hair salons still? I don't, you know, it was, it was something that I grasped onto because, and this is the important part I think is regardless of how you pay people, what I think is important is how you pay people reinforces behaviors. Mm-hmm. right? Reinforces a culture. And for me, I wanted something, I wanted to build something special. I wanted a culture that truly said teamwork. I wanted a culture that truly said we were going to share clients because we were departmentalized. We had people that just cut hair. We had people who just did color. I wanted a company that truly offered people benefits like health insurance, 401k plans, time off, paid vacations, that's what the picture I had in my head for a company. And I couldn't figure out how to make the money to make that happen under the commission model. Right. But I did find I could do it under the salaried model. And since that's what I wanted, and that was the vision I had, that pay system fit that vision. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I don't hear about, um, like I'm trying to think in my area in Virginia, I don't know of any salons that do like an hourly. Um, they're yeah. all either commission or booth rent right. or, or whatever. But well, it's, I think it's what, you grow, it's what you grow up with, right? Right, right. And really, I mean, it's great to have the benefits attached to things. I mean, that's the quote unquote real job, you know, that right. people think we don't have. Right. <laughs> like, and that's, that's, the, that's the person I wanted to attract. I wanted to attract the person. If I want stability in my company, then I need to offer stability to my team members. And right. this allowed me to do that. And again, I pass no judgment on which model is best. For me, it's all about what's the picture you have in your head, what's the vision that you have, and what's the best pay structure to support that vision. And that's the one you should go with. I love right. that. So let's talk a little bit because um, independent stylists are popping up everywhere. People are going independent yeah. left and right. Um, sure. One, why do you think that is? Like, do you think that there's, what, what shift do you think happened? Um, well, I, think, I think there's a couple. There's the ones that came pre-COVID and there's the ones that came post-COVID, right? If um, pre-COVID, I think a lot of it has to do, I think there's two, two major categories. One has to do with uh, flexibility. 
right? Mm -hmm. I believe that many people see the ability to have their own space, right? As an opportunity to be flexible with their, with their day, with their time and how they want to go about their life. And I get that, right? So I want this flexibility and this model gives me that. Right. On the other side of the, on that same coin is I think leadership was a serious problem for many, for many people who have become independent. For many people who became independent, it wasn't so much about flexibility or even making enough money. It was just, I just don't like this environment. I don't like the vision that the owner may have. I don't like how they lead. Um, you know, to be blunt, some owners are knuckleheads, right? We think, right. That, we think the best way to get people to do things is to convince them that we're right and they're wrong, right? Um, and I think that's, un that's unfortunate for our industry as a whole, because I think in the end, our industry is stronger when we work together. Right. Uh, yet, I get it. You know, if you're in an environment that you don't find healthy, you know, one of the things I say, and my um, podcast partner, Chris, often say, is that if the person that works with you, if your teammates or your employees, if their vision for their life is bigger than what they can get within your four walls, shame on you. you know, they're, gone. They're, 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 they're gone. Leave, yeah, they'll leave the first chance they can get. That's for sure. Yeah. So I think that's one of the challenges of salon owners. And, you know, I'm one of them. So that's why, you know, I, I connect with this. And this is where my passion lies to help others is if you're so busy behind the chair creating a revenue for yourself, and that's important, don't get me wrong, how in the world can you help others create a bigger vision that they, than they even think that they can do? You know, right. that's, that's the important part. Well, COVID, it's a different story, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I think that it, it's kind of a similar story, but just for different reasons, if you think about it. I mean, I know right. a lot of people left. They were kind of on their last straw anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe the way that their owner handled COVID, right. yep. you know, or the fact that they wanted, you know, a space with less people or, you know, whatever the reason. But um, it, sure. I think it's an accelerated version of probably what was happening beforehand. Yeah, I agree. Sense. Yeah, I think I think that the COVID pandemic has put some leaders in a position that they're highly uncomfortable mm -hmm. showing, and I mean this with love because I've been there, I know what this looks like, right? <laughs> Your leadership skills don't match the situation that you're in right now, right? Right. And we spend so much time working on our craft and so much time working on how to deliver the best customer service and so much time you know, teaching our, our new hires, everything that we know, we pour so much into them. And that's the great thing about our industry that we forget to feed ourselves. And if you're going to be a leader, it isn't because you're a good boss, right? Um, you're probably the nicest guy or girl ever, but that's not leadership. That's just, that's nice. They're two different things. What would you tell the person who is ready to open their own salon? They're ready to be a boss um, mm -hmm. or even, even a booth rental salon. They're just ready to have their own space with, with their own stylus underneath them in some way. Mm -hmm. um, what would you tell that person that like anything, like, like yeah. becoming a parent, anything sure. where you think you know, but yeah. you have no idea. What is the <laughs> one no piece? Clue. Of <laughs> yeah. No clue. Um, <laughs> It doesn't work for everything, but I think it, because, you know, let's go back to having children. Um, you know, I don't think you're ever prepared for what that looks like, right? right. No, matter, no matter what <laughs> anybody tells you, um, you know, there's, there's probably not a whole lot of advice there. But for things like business, I think there is, and that is be really, really clear about your vision. What is your end game? What, what are you trying to reach to? Because I think not everybody, but I think for too many people, opening their own business is more about running away than it is going to something, right? Yes. You know, I left my business because my, my the business I was working with because my boss was a jerk. I left that business because I couldn't make enough money. I left that business because my ex-girlfriend still works there. Uh, you know, I left that business for whatever reason, that's running away, Right. Right. And granted, there are times you need to leave. Let's be totally honest. Um, but if you're running away from something and not running to something and being really clear what that to is, 
I think too many people then struggle and waffle around for a couple of years because they have to figure that part out. It would have been right. nice if you figured it out before you left, right? That, that's so interesting you say that because that is exactly what I did. I was in a commission salon. I mean, mm -hmm. I was in commission salons for 14 years and then right. I went out to um, open a suite yeah. by myself and that's Perfect. exactly why I did it. I didn't like the culture and I wanted my own culture. I did not think about anything else. I didn't think about making more money, creating mm -hmm. my own brand, like nothing. I just right. wanted my own thing. And I never knew that until you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate part that it's just, you know, and, and this is probably one of the secrets of life, never mind salon owning, right? Right. You can't, <laughs> you can't run away, right? Right. You got to be going to something. And whatever that to is, whatever that fills your heart, whatever fills your passion, whatever gives you fulfillment, Getting really clear on that at first, I think is probably the biggest first step. Well, and considering the future at mm -hmm. first with yeah. anything in life too. You sure. know, a lot of times we think of the day to day and what do I want it to look like today? Right. You know, not, we don't really ever think about what it's going to look like later. So, oh. so talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about um, the difference in being an independent stylist, um, whether it's a booth rental in a booth rental salon sure. or in a suite, and then actually um, being a leader in a salon, like what what are what are some things we can talk about there? Well, let's look at let let's look at going back to the the how we started this conversation, which is keeping the end in mind, right? What does that end look like? What does that long term vision look like? I'm not saying you have to have your whole life mapped out step by step because to tell you the truth, that's boring as heck. And I don't, I don't have the attention span for that. I don't it's going to get ruined it. anyway. So it's going to get ruined anyway. <laughs> yeah. right? It's like how you think your kids are going to grow up. They're all going to be doctors. Yeah, no, they're not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but what I do know is you've got to keep that end in mind. What's that end look like? Now let's talk about whether you're an employee, salon owner, or whether or not you rent a suite. You know, if you're working for somebody that's business owner owns something they've mm -hmm. got we call them assets and assets are things that hold value so what's an asset they might own the building you know they might own all the furniture the fixtures you know everything that's in there they own the inventory everything in that space has value and even if they don't own the building they own the lease and the lease has value and if they've done, you know, improvements to the building, built out walls and built, put new lights in and air conditioning, that has value. You can sell the lease for money along with all the furniture, along with all the fixtures, along with all the inventory. And if the business is still functional, meaning it's got employees, that building with the employees as a business has value and you can sell that. Why is that important? Because as a business owner, you're trying to create assets. You're trying to create wealth for yourself, right? Now let's go as a stylist or an independent. And I put those two together purposely because sometimes I think we like to use the phrase, well, if you become an independent, you're, you become your, your own your own business. And the answer to that is, well, politely, no, you don't. And I'm not saying that to be mean. What I'm saying is let's get really clear on vocabulary. You don't own anything. You don't own any assets. You don't own a building. That lease isn't worth anything because as soon as you go, they'll, you know, find somebody else to rent your suite or rent your chair. You don't, you might own some bottles of shampoo and some bottles of, uh, of color, but in the grand scheme of things, you might have a couple hundred dollars in assets and that's it. Right. right. And so if you're going to try to create wealth for yourself, which is what the business owner does by owning a business, they create wealth whether you're a stylist or an independent, as an independent, you're in business for yourself, but you're not a business owner. And again, my, my intent here is not to be mean or you know, uh, make, a, uh, make points that aren't conducive to this conversation. What I'm trying to say is you don't have any assets. Right, right. right. Put so things into perspective a little bit. Right. And in the end, if all you're doing is running away, right, to someplace else where you can make some, a little bit more money, you hope, right? Because that's the goal. But you haven't laid out what your asset creation is. If you haven't laid out what your end goal is here, do you want to retire someday? Do you want to just, you know, and here's the thing. It's a perfectly acceptable thought 
to build a salon in your basement and cut hair to your 90, right? Right. I have fantasies of moving to Italy, living on the coast and cutting the old lady's hair next door as long as she makes me bread, you know, right. I'm good. <laughs> that's a perfectly good, um, that's a perfectly good fantasy to have. But real life is, where's your asset creation? And let's change that vocabulary. Where's your wealth creation? Because you are not creating wealth for yourself if all you're doing is either working for somebody or working for yourself, but in the end, what's the end game here? So what would you say to the independent stylist who, who doesn't want to own a salon? She yep. enjoys, you know, just her clients and what she does for her business. Um, mm -hmm. How would you, what would you say to them on how they could um, prepare for their future and still not have all the overhead of a salon and all the, all the risk and all of that? Well, I think um, to your point, once you've been really clear that that's what you want to do, you know what? I want to work by myself. That's what my comfort zone is. I want to have my own space. That's all I want. Then creating an income stream for you that works, creating an income stream that creates a opportunity for you to continue to grow that business that you have there. And then being able to take those revenues to purchase assets. Because here's the other thing, if that business that you created for yourself, now that you're self-employed, doesn't create an income stream that allows you to purchase assets, then what's the point? I mean, I get it, while the culture's different and I'm in my own space, that's great, but it's not helping you get anywhere closer to your goals, right? right. What do those look like? I mean, on our podcast, you told a great story about the neighborhood and the house that you bought now, right? And you and your husband would drive through the neighborhood and, and you love the homes and you kind of guys kind of thought to yourself, we're never going to be able to live here. Right. And yet through hard work, through a little bit of planning, guess what? You did it. You're sitting bought right, the house. Now. Yeah. Sitting <laughs> right now in the neighborhood that you want to live with. And that's an asset because I don't know what your end goal is. But either A, hopefully you live in that house till the point that the mortgage is paid off and you can just live there rent free yep. or you sell it and maybe you get to go to Italy and cut the little old lady's hair. Next door, <laughs> right. you know? Whatever that is. Right. But right. You know, that's really, really important. Um, and I think it's also important to understand what assets are. Right. Right. Um, a car, as an example, is not an asset. Because right? it loses value like it loses immediately. Value. Yeah. yeah. As soon as you buy it, you buy it for $30,000, you take it home. Now it's worth 25, right? So it's interesting listening to you because I had talked to somebody last year and mm -hmm. she was a hairstylist and she mm -hmm. was picking up, she was in a suite alone, mm -hmm. she was picking up and moving herself somewhere else. Yep. She ended up selling her, her client list and mm -hmm. her business for, I think, 10 grand. That's awesome. I've never heard that before. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Now, would that be considered an asset if for somebody who's maybe, um, you know, against in a suite, not necessarily a booth renter or, yeah. you know, is No, absolutely. Um, you know, here's the thing. If you're leaving town far enough, right? Right. Right. Like when I sold my salon, I moved from Massachusetts to Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. There's no chance in heck that any of those clients are going to leave and follow me to Georgia. Right. right? This is going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, that there's value to that. If you've got a distinctive clientele, I mean, I'm making stuff up here. Let's say you've got a really big extension clientele, right? And you've got a niche going on for you, or you're in a luxury market, or you're one of the few games in town. Yes, you can sell that client list for $10,000. And isn't that great? Um, what I would ask is, how much effort and energy does it take in order to create a $10,000 asset? How much time, work, and energy does it take to create? And I'm making stuff up here. Let's pretend your home is worth $400,000. How much time, effort, and energy does it take to create a $400,000 asset? Right. Because if the work is the same, or close enough, I'd much rather work on the $400,000 asset than the $10,000 asset. Does it make sense? Right. Yep. Well, I thought it was interesting because first of all, I 
finding somebody that would purchase something, especially yeah. in, a, in an age of Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, where, well, she could just leave and nobody could have bought it and everyone's going to scoop those clients up anyway. I just thought it was very interesting. Um, that great. I mean, I yeah. think create that type of business model, right, where your client list has some value to it. And I think it always has to be distinctive. Right. right? I don't want to give everybody the thought, well, I'll sell my client list. I'll sell my client list. I'll sell my client list. You may but can you get $10,000 for it? Right. Uh, and if at the end of the day, that's all you get, you know, then I think we got to kind of think about well, what else can I do? I kind of look at this as creating multiple income streams, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe one income stream is that $10,000 cash out from the client list. Another income stream is the money that you're creating behind the chair now. Another income stream is your ability to buy and purchase assets, you know, so you'll have something to sell later on. It's not about one. It's about picking as many different ones as you can. So whatever the end looks like for you, right? And that may be just living on a beach in Jamaica, right? Right. Um, or it may be continuing to cut hair in the basement of your house till you're, you know, till you can't walk anymore because that truly brings you joy, then do it. Right. I just want to make sure that you have the finances to be able to maintain that lifestyle that you want to develop for yourself. Amen to that. Well, it's about, at the end of the day, it's about security, right? Like, yeah, you know. it's like for, and now are we not in the most probably insecure time any of us can remember? Absolutely. Um, it's just nuts right now. Yeah. Right? I think this year has really um, shown people where they need to change their business and their personal life um, to find right. more security. Cause again, who knew this shit was going to happen? Like, I mean, my no, husband no. and I's whole, you know, last couple years, it was never the conversation of if I lost my job ever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You're a hairdresser. Who loses their job as a hairdresser? Exactly. Nobody. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, I think that the, this conversation about the future money, mm -hmm you know, how to structure your business is really important now more than ever. So let's talk about how that's going to happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. So, so our first thought is going to be, are we running away from something or are we running to something? That's the first thing you got to ask yourself. Question number two is if you're if you're going to something, what is that? You'll right. be really crystal clear in your mind about what you're doing. Let's pretend, because I know many of your listeners are independents, let's stay on that side of the equation. Actually, let's do this. Let's do whether you're working for somebody or whether or not you're self-employed, the game's the same. Let's go there. And that is, no matter which road you head down, you've got to find a way to create an income for yourself that supports that end vision. Mm -hmm. For many of us, that does not mean working harder. It does not mean putting more hours behind the chair. We've all heard this kind of pushback or feedback, the, the Instagram memes or the little jokes or the little comments that we see online, charge what you're worth, charge what you're worth, charge what you're worth. I think that we do us, ourselves a disservice when we don't add context to charge what you're worth. Is that, yes. is that okay? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to flip that and I'm going to say be worth what you charge. Oh, I like that. Is that okay? Absolutely. Now let's go down this road. If you're going to create assets for yourself, you need some money to do that. Right. Whether you're working for somebody, whether you're self-employed, I need money to purchase assets. I need money to buy stocks, to buy bonds, to buy a house, to buy whatever investment things that I'm going to go down the road of. I need money to do that. I'd rather not have to work 80 hours a week to make that happen because that's the whole point, right? Is how do I create a lifestyle for myself that becomes all consuming? And the answer to that is you got to know your numbers, mm -hmm. right? Which I know most people kind of like, ah, oh, can I just go rent a booth? Won't that be enough? It might be, it might not be. I don't know the answer to that but wouldn't you rather know before? Right. And if you decide that you'd rather work in an employee environment because you like what that has to offer, that's great. But I'm sure you'd like to make more money in that environment, right? So it's less about the environment and more about what you do with your career, no matter where you're at. 
So what I'm going to say to you, there are four things you really got to pay a lot of attention to. Um, the first one I'm going to say is you got to pay attention to your visits per year. That's the big aha I had way back when, remember? Mm-hmm. When you can increase the visits per year for a client to your company, you are increasing the value, um, not only to yourself, but let's go back to that woman who sold her client list for 10 grand, mm-hmm. right? If she can show the prospective buyer that her clients come in six or seven times a year, not three or four, wow, that, that list has way more value to it now. I've created an asset that's got more value, not less. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So yep. right now, the average visits per year is a little over four, right? Now let's do some quick math. If, you're, if you've got about 150 clients and they spend about $150 or average ticket every time they come in, that's about $90,000 a year in sales if they come in four times a year. Um, that's once every 13 weeks, mm-hmm. which, which is not a lot. If you can get your clients to come in every eight or nine weeks, which still isn't crazy, that's six visits a year. And that takes your income from $90,000 a year to 135. Right. Which is huge. I, that's a huge, yeah. <laughs> that's like a boatload of money, almost right. 50 grand. Right. I want that. Right. You know, how do you do that? Well, I just increased my client visits per year and not to anything ridiculous once every eight or nine weeks. Right. Um, so if I'm trying to work smarter, not harder, If my client list is an asset that I eventually want to sell, how do I make it more valuable? Get your clients to come in more often. Amen to that. I mean, I think that nowadays, especially with all the balayages and things like that, you know, I mean, we really, I see it. I've done it. You market to coming in less, but, but. There's plenty of services that a client needs. Baby lights around the face, you know, uh, glosses or glazes. You know what? 13 weeks is way too long for haircuts. Right. Way too long. Well, I think the problem too is it's like we're marketing this large expensive service, right? Right. Only have to do this a couple times a year. But then we're not having the conversation when they come in and they say, oh, the past month, it's been so faded. Right. Well, why don't you come in in six to eight weeks and we'll go ahead and gloss it and just trim it up and it'll be like brand new until your next one. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, it's great that we have these low maintenance looks, right. but let's make them not look low maintenance all year long. <laughs> <Right. know? Yep. laughs> so yes, so I love that. That's, that's number, number, that's number, number one, get your yeah. client visits up. Number two, we just talked about it. Average ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Let's get your average ticket up because if I can go from an average ticket of $150 to $200, I'm not going to do the math, but that's a boatload of money too. Right. <laughs> you know, that's $50 times 150 clients times six times a year. Now, I don't even know how much that is, but now I'm curious. Let's roll out the calculator. I was going to say. <laughs> now, so if you can increase your average ticket by $50, $50 times 150 clients is 7,005 times six times a year. It's $45,000. That's huge. That's some people, what they make in a whole year. I just doubled my income by doing two things. One, I increased my average ticket from $150 to $200, and I got my clients to reschedule eight, uh, six times a year instead of four. Nowhere did I spend more money. Nowhere did I spend more time. And I just doubled my income. I want to cheer. Like I want to, woo! <laughs> now I want to circle back on the charge what you're worth part. Cause this is where people freak out a little bit. Well, I don't know if I can charge my prices and I keep hearing people saying charge what you're worth. And I know I'm worth more. How do you know you're worth more? Right. And there's one simple answer to that. And that is your client retention rate. Right. We call that your client quality score. If clients don't come back, and I mean this with love, because a little bit of a little bit of truth hurts, but it's you know it's what we all need to hear. If your clients aren't returning, you are not you're charging more than you're worth. Right. right? The value isn't there. The value isn't there. So how do you know it's time to increase your prices? Two ways. 
One is your retention rate is going to be great. What's a good retention rate? For new clients, 50% or higher. For your existing clients, at least 85%. Mm-hmm. So those two metrics, if you're hitting those two numbers, your book should be full. Time to raise your prices. Right. Wait a couple of weeks. Or maybe not a couple of weeks. Wait a couple of months. Maybe six. Are you still there? Because if your retention numbers are still there, guess what? There's still room for you. You know, there was a girl that works within our company. Her haircuts were $61. And it was time for a promotion. And she was like, you know, look, I I really need a promotion. And one of her uh, challenges was she's on her feet all day and her feet were hurting. And she was like, my feet are killing me. I need to thin out my clients. You said, John, that if I cut, if I raise my prices by 10%, I'll cut 10% of my clients. But the math will work out that I'll make the same amount of money. The answer is yeah. Mm-hmm. So she did it. Her haircuts went from 61 to $70, right? Um, 64 to $70, I fib, sorry. 64 to $70. And she was happy. And I saw her probably two months later in the back room with her feet up on a chair. And I thought for a minute there, maybe, you know, she didn't have any clients. So I was kind of worried, you know, did she lose too many clients? And I walked in the back room and she said, you lied to me. I was like, what, what did I say? You said that if I raised my prices 10%, I would lose 10% of my customers. She didn't lose anyone, did she? She didn't lose any. (laughs) And she was like, so my feet still hurt. Well, just why they're up on the chair. And I said, well, let's raise them again. The next year we had was $77. And she says, I can't do that. I can't go from 64 to $77 in one year. I was like, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. Your feet are telling you they can. Mm -hmm. And the the clients are telling her that she can. Right. But you got to know your numbers. I know her numbers because I helped the manager, you know, sit down and have these conversations. Her retention rate was in the 90s for base client retention and like in the 60s and low 70s for new clients. You know, she was plenty busy. Her clients weren't going anywhere because I knew those numbers. It was a, we knew we can make this decision. It would be okay. Right. right? How many of us would love to take our haircutting prices from 64 to $77 in a year? Right. It's not, it's not charge what you're worth. It's worth what you charge be worth what you charge yeah i have this conversation a lot in my dms because um, yeah. i was the busy client i was the busy stylist mm-hmm. and i would raise my prices to thin people out and yeah. um it's funny because i had you know the people who were with me for over 10 years i did like the sure. bad thing where i didn't really raise them enough <laughs> right. and they never left me for you i'm gonna give you a special price right well and i didn't yeah. even them that I would still raise it, but it it needed to be like it needed to be a higher raise sure. than than you know it was, and um, yeah. and they never left me, and mm-hmm. I mean I ended up leaving them before they left me. Right. Um, and it's funny because I have this conversation in my DMs all the time. I'm so busy, I'm so busy, and I'm like raise your prices, and then they do, and then they come back to me. I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And I'll say the same thing. Raise, raise your again. prices again, and they're like, it's only been two months. I can't, and I'm like, why? Yeah. Why not? Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's really interesting. Um, I have a random question that goes along with yeah. this. Yeah. When you, do you recommend um, telling everyone, all your clients across the board when you're raising your prices or do you just do it? Um, I, you know, it, it comes from two different um, points of view, right? I'll go with my old life and I'll go with my new life, okay. right? <laughs> In my old life, when I was a, a salon owner, I would have my front desk do it, Mm -hmm. right? And for no other reason than I was busy, I wasn't going to do that conversation justice, right? Right. And the the front desk was trained to have those conversations. Hey, wanted you to know as of this date, the prices for John are going to be going up to this. You know, I know you're a valuable customer. He wanted me to give you this coupon. It's good for $10 off your next visit, you know, and it was just... Otherwise, it was, I got a client waiting for me, you know, because I'm double booked. Um, hey, you know what, Misty, my price is going up next time. I just wanted you to know, so you go bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. And it just wasn't a good conversation, right? Um, I know that there are some people who believe that if they can't, if they have to ask how much it is, they can't afford it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, that. yeah. So I'm not going to tell them. I just think you're doing, if you're really building trust with a guest, 
And that's what builds retention, right? Because when a client comes back, what they're telling you is, I trust you. Right. Right. You chip away at that when you have price increases, you don't tell people. Especially it's, big ones. Yeah. It feels a little dirty, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, you know, in a previous life, I would have had somebody else do it, but just because of the nature of how we ran our business, now in the environment that I'm in, um, I'm always going to say, tell your client directly because you're trying to build trust and rapport. It comes across a little dirty if you don't. Yeah, I agree. That, that's my opinion. Yeah, I was just curious because you hear you hear very 50-50, you know, you hear the whole, well, you go to Walmart and they up the prices and nobody tells you and it's like, yeah. Here's the difference. You know. Right. There's a difference. Walmart charges four ninety nine for something. Right, exactly. You're, you're charging two hundred dollars. Right, exactly. You know, there is a appreciation of the scale of what we do. Mm -hmm. That's so much. If you want to equate yourself with Walmart, go ahead. I right. Mean, if you want to equate yourself or Target? Go ahead. Right. You know, I I, do, I choose not to do that. Yeah. Right. No, I'm with you on that. Okay, where were we? Let's see. We did charging your, or I'm sorry, what it not charging your worth. Say that, say that quote one more time. Be worth what you charge. Be worth what you charge. Love it. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you want to charge more, you've got to be more, right? right. right. What does your customer service look like? What are your technical skills like? What do your people skills look like? You know, because um, if you can't build a rapport, and trust is the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the reasons why I always look at rebooking and retail numbers in our salon. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? It isn't about, you know, let's be honest, you know, 10, maybe 15% retail commission isn't going to buy you a new boat, right? right? But what it does tell me is, first of all, it's another income stream, and I want that income stream, right? The second thing is it tells me whether or not your clients trust you. Mm -hmm. Because if I can't trust you enough to buy a bottle of shampoo from you because you told me it was a good thing to have or conditioner or styling product or whatever, we've got a different challenge. I always find that the stylists who have the highest retention rates also have the highest retail rates. Mm, yeah. Now, why is that? It's because a couple of things. One is they taught them how to use it. There was some education behind that, right? And two, there's trust. You know, if John tells me I need to buy this gel, I'll buy this gel. If John tells me I need to reschedule my next appointment in eight weeks because I'm going to need some maintenance, then I'm going to do it. If I cannot get my clients to rebook and I cannot get my clients to buy retail, then I may have a trust issue. Right. And that needs to be addressed. People want to feel taken care of. They do. Yeah. Right. And I always, you know, we talk to our staff about retail. Retail isn't about the sale, right? Retail is about the maintenance. Right. Because if you got red hair and you go home and a week later it's faded, they don't, client doesn't say, I must be using the wrong shampoo. They blame it on you. <laughs> they blame it on you. I say, yeah. Missy can't color my hair worth anything. Right. No, you're using Prell, you right. know, or whatever you're using. If you want to build trust and rapport with your guests, you got to take care of them when they're not in the building as well as you did in the building. And I know this sounds like a talk on retail, but let's get back to the premise. The premise is you're building trust. Right. Where does trust come from? They know you're going to take care of them. Amen to that. Yeah. So one more number that I want to make sure we get to. Mm -hmm. We talked about average ticket, visits per year, your retention rate. The last one is new clients right? You've got to continue to market yourself. Uh, whether it's building a brand for yourself that you had mentioned earlier, whether it's passing out referral cards, here, whatever it's meeting people on the street and passing out business cards. And you'll say, well, Misty, I'm so busy. I don't need any more clients. Okay. What's the worst thing that could happen? The phone will ring and you'll have to say, no, I'm sorry. I'm booked. Right. I'll take that phone call every day. Right. Right. Because there's going to be a day when you're not. There's I've made that mistake. Have you? I've what closed, happened? I closed my books. Yeah. Um, it was when I first went into a suite and I was starting to feeling the burnout yeah. and I closed my books. And that first year, um, I raised my prices and I stopped mm -hmm. working Saturdays and closed my books pretty much all at the same time. All at the same time. 
horrible mistake. Yeah. I ended up losing um, a good a good handful of clients, and it was probably uh, the slowest holiday season I'd ever had. Right. And I turned people away. I mean, they would yeah. DM me, and I would say, "I'm sorry, I'm not taking new clients." And um, and it was not a good. And I after that, I learned I never did that again until right. I knew I was stepping away from behind the chair. That's different. Um, yeah. Because then but, you're winding down purposely, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was a bad idea because you do you when you raise your prices, you are going to lose people. When you change your schedule, yep. you are going to lose people. So you yep. want to build up to the people that want to pay your prices and that mm. want to you know are able to right. fit your new schedule. So yes, I have made that mistake, and it was a big mistake. Because the clients who pay sixty, let's say their average ticket is sixty dollars, who leave you. You want to have a line out the door of people who are who are willing and waiting to pay you seventy. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You want that to happen. So you know, politely, that's why I'm always like, well, if you're doing a good job of retaining customers and you're doing a good job of um, charge being worth what you charge, when those clients that you've had for a long time and it's time to raise their prices, but you're afraid that they're gonna go, it's okay. And I mean this with love. Here's the thing, there's always those two or three clients you'll charge, you'll do their hair for free, because right. you just love them, right? right. There's nothing, you, you've built that relationship. But in the end, if you leave, it's okay. Don't be afraid, because there's somebody outside the door who is willing to pay you $70 if you just made room for them. And again, think about what your long-term goal is. If your long-term goal is to create more revenue, more cash for yourself so that you can buy assets, whether those assets are a new home, whether those assets are stocks, bonds, investments, maybe you want to buy a rental property, whatever it is that you want to do, you've got to create that revenue stream for it. Maybe you want to open your own salon one day. How cool is that? Where's the money going to come from? Where are the assets? Where's the money for the asset development that you need? Right, right. Amen to that. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm all about that money talk. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're. I think we're all about the money. I think that we forget though. And you talked. You told this story when you did our podcast with us. You talked about how you misinterpreted having good credit as right. having money. You know. Um, just because you can afford it because you had the credit doesn't mean it was a wise purchase. Well, right? good credit is just telling you that you're really good at, at accumulating debt. <laughs> yeah. good, good credit is all about saying we can lend Misty money because we know she'll pay us back. Exactly. It does not take into account what your assets are. The best feeling is being able to buy something outright. That feels it, way better. Yeah. And then the moment you have it, you can turn around and sell it the next day if something goes wrong. You know, it's a great feeling. <laughs> I know this is probably a longer question than we have time for, but let's, let me ask you this. With all the DMs that you get, what do you think biggest folks' biggest challenge is in swapping this mindset from just making money to, no, I need to invest in assets? Where do you find that that struggle is? It is 100% not paying attention, 100%. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. literally everyone thinks that they need to make more money and then they'll be where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Everyone, everyone. I, well, I, how can I get more clients so that I can make this amount so that I can get this house or whatever? But sure. nobody really realizes that they're actually not doing what they need to do with the small amount of money that they have. Mm -hmm. And getting more of it, they're going to do the same thing just with more of it. So just right. honestly, paying attention is huge and thinking about the future. You know, mm -hmm. actually not just having, oh, I really hope one day I can buy this new house and going, one right. day I'm going to buy this new house. Sure. And then I'm going to take- In the future, go ahead, I'm sorry. To, I'm going to take these steps to do it. I'm going to take action. It's not, you can yeah. dream all you want, but if you don't take action, shit's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And the future doesn't have to be when I'm 65. Exactly. The future can be when I'm 30. Right. The future can be when I'm 45. You know, you well, can I, I'm very big on small, small goals to the big yeah. goal. You have to do the small stuff before you get to the big stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. And 65 is going to come a lot faster <laughs> than you <laughs> what think. Was, what was your first goal? Do you remember? Oh, our first goal on our... Um, when you were going from the mindset of I'm going to pay attention, I'm going to do something with this money. What was your first goal? 
our very first goal, and I actually have what was on our refrigerator right here, was to pay yeah. off debt. That was our yeah. very first goal. Our second goal was emergency fund and then save the down payment for the house. So, and, and, and yeah. Uh, and because I, I know you're sitting in it, all three of those things happened, right? Yes, in that order. And I'm going to ask you a silly question. How old were you by the time you got to the third one? Um, so it was exactly two and a half years from when we bought the house. Awesome. So we started, I was 30 when we started and we bought the house at, I was 32. No, awesome. 30. Yeah. Yeah. 32. So somewhere between 32, 33. Yeah. And it will be, and I will say, you yeah. talked about earlier about paying things like I, it will be paid off before I'm 50. That's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great yeah. But it's all about, you know, planning. Yeah. You know, paying attention. That's really all it is. It's not hard. Yeah. You know, it's just, nope. that's it. But, um, so yeah, John, this conversation was awesome. I really, Thank you, man. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it too. Thank you for having me on. Will you tell the listeners where they can find you? On social media, my uh, social media handle is no indoor voice. Uh, one word. So whether it's, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, you can find me at No Indoor Voice. I don't know how I got so lucky, but um, <laughs> I, I, that's, my, that's my social media handle. You can DM me, DM me anytime. Um, you can also reach me at uh, the podcast at 124go.com and um, you know, say hello, give us a shout, and we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Misty, thank you again. I appreciate it. I just want to give a huge thank you to John for coming on and having, um, again, a real chat. At the end of the day, that's all that I want for this podcast is to have real conversations um, with real people in the industry. And thank you so much for listening because y'all are the ones that are letting this happen. Um, I get so much great feedback about feeling like you're part of the conversation. And that is my goal. So again, if you like it, please leave a review, give it a share. You can tag me on Instagram at underscore Missy Jane underscore. Um, and I will talk to you on the next one. <laughs>